This is Dr. Benny Tate, and you're listening to the Leads Club podcast, all about leadership, personal growth, and helping you grow in your walk with God. Our goal is simply to help you lead like never before in your church, business, home, or whatever platform God has given you. Our next Leads Club session begins now. Good evening. Good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. Just out of curiosity, just my out of curiosity, how many of you are not members of Rock Springs Church but would like to be? I tell you what, I'll be in the foyer right after this service is over and we can get you signed up. No, thank you. Thank you so much, men, for giving this night. I trust you've had a wonderful, wonderful evening. Uh, Mark Rick was a tremendous, a tremendous football coach. Tremendous football coach. Most of you know I'm a Tennessee fan. And uh, we beat Georgia nine out of ten years. And then something happened. Mark Rick came to town. And everything turned around. Well, he was a great football coach. And I admire him as a football coach. But if I'd had a son. If I'd had a son and there's one coach that my son could have played for, Brother Bill, your son was able to play for him. But if I'd had a son and there was one coach that my son could have played for out of all the coaches in college football, it would have been this man. Would you join me in making welcome to Rock Springs Church, Coach Mark Rick. to say you're loved is an understatement. <laughs> y'all, y'all got me. Y'all got me. Thank you. Well, Coach, Thank we're honored. Uh, we're honored. We have been looking so forward to you coming to Rock Springs Church. It's just been something. Uh, the excitement has been building, and uh, I wanted to learn about you personally, Coach, and I've had a little time with you to learn some right. things, but I, uh, Coach, uh, Tell me about your upbringing. Tell me, tell me about how you grew up. Well, uh, born in Omaha, Nebraska, moved to, by age seven to Colorado, and then by age 13, Boca Raton, Florida. Played for the Boca High Bobcats. Uh, was first team All-State quarterback. I was awesome. All you had to do was ask me. <laughs> and, uh, or my mom. And uh, so uh, anyway, I got recruited by a lot of schools and, uh, University of Miami was one of them. I actually got, not many people know this, but I got recruited by Coach Saban at the University of Miami. I don't know if many people knew that or not, but it wasn't Nick Saban, it was Lou Saban. And uh, anyway, uh, right before I signed with them, I was in his office and I was um, looking at the Miami Herald of all the commitments. 
I feel like turning my chair a little bit because I feel like my back's to the guys over there a little bit. So anyway, I'm talking with Coach Saban about the uh, Miami Herald and all the commitments. And uh, he had just told, you know, Miami was not very good back then. We were like awful. And uh, they were thinking about quitting, quitting football program, period. And so he's like, you're going to come in here and save the program. And I believed him. And uh, so anyway, I'm looking at the newspaper, and I said, tell me about this guy, Mike Rodrique, Choctahatchee High School, quarterback slash DB. He said, you said slash DB, he's, he's a defensive back, don't worry about him. I said, okay. Well, he, as it turned out, he was a quarterback. <laughs> anyway, so then I go, well, tell me about this name, Jim Kelly, East Brady, Pennsylvania, quarterback with no slash, what about him? And he looked me straight in the eye, he said, Somebody's got to back you up. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I uh, went to Miami. I had my plans, and I was going to start as a freshman, of course, and be All-American my second year and win the Heisman my third year and go pro. And uh, the only problem with that plan is Jim Kelly started living my life for me. <laughs> and uh, So anyway, Mike Rodriguez, the first guy I talked about, we used to call him Lucky Jim because – Jim dropped back, throw the ball right to the free safety, and the free safety bobbled the ball and it ricocheted to the receiver's hands. He'd go score a touchdown, and I'd throw a beautiful pass to the receiver, and he'd drop the ball, and the, the DB would snatch and go for a pick six. So Jim, we called him Lucky Jim. That's how he beat us out. And uh, so anyway, that's kind of how that went. And then, uh, but one, <clears throat> one summer, and I'll say this, when my plan uh, went in the tank. You know, my identity was in what I did. My identity was in football. And, uh, and then when football went in the tank, guess who went in the tank? I did. So I started doing things I never dreamed I'd do. Uh, I would never do uh, certain things to my body or do things in the middle of the night that I shouldn't do and all that. Well, I started doing all those things because I felt uh, so bad I was just kind of self-medicating, so to speak. And so um, about two years into that, I was going into my third season, third or fourth season, and ended up hitch, hitch, hitching up with a guy named John Peasley, who was a year ahead of me. And uh, if I was an All-American at the nighttime games, he was a Heisman Trophy candidate. And so I thought, we're going to have one heck of a summer. But something had changed in him, and uh, he had this, he was this guy that was mad all the time, and looking to get drunk and looking for a fight, quite frankly. And then all of a sudden, he, he became this guy that had this peace about him. And I was, like, I was like, John, what happened to you, man? He said, I came to know Christ. I said, what are you talking about? So he started telling me about uh, the things that had happened. He's showing me things in the Bible, and I'm thinking, hey, maybe this is for me. I was very attracted to what, what had happened in, in his spirit. I said, but then I started thinking about, well, what would my other roommates think? What would my girlfriend think when she gets back in town? So I thought I was more worried about what God, what man thought than what God thought, which is kind of stupid. Amen. But uh, I think we've all done that, probably worried more about what man thinks than what God thinks. And the other thing was uh, I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I thought when I became a Christian, I'd have to be perfect and never sin again. So I'm looking at my sin. I'm like, I think I could stop this sin. And I I, make, I might could stop this, and then I'm like, I'll never stop this sin. <laughs> so I didn't want to be, uh, 
So, that, so like that, that was strike two. And then strike three was, I thought if I was a, became a Christian, God might send me on a mission trip, I'd never come back. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, for those reasons, I said, no, not for me. And uh, but that's kind of how things got started. Uh, after, after my college days, uh, tried out. I mean, I, got, I, got, I didn't get drafted, okay, but I got a free agent shot. And Pittsburgh Steelers were going to pay me big, big, bucks, six, big bucks, six figures, six comma zero, zero, zero point zero, zero signing bonus. So a big six grand. And then I said to my agent, who else? He said Denver Broncos, eight comma zero, zero, zero point zero, zero. So I went for the big bucks, went to Denver, flew in there, had dinner with John Hadel, who was the quarterback's coach and was in charge of me. Signed my contract, went back to my hotel room, and uh, right when I turned the TV on, he said, hey, Coach Hadle said, tomorrow you're going to meet Dan Reeves, the head coach. It's going to be an awesome day. Couldn't wait. Turn on the TV. Newsflash. John Elway had just been traded from the Baltimore Colts to the Denver Broncos. <laughs> so I'm thinking, dang, here comes lucky John Elway. <laughs> so anyway, I, I, I was there. They bring the rookies in first. All right, so you're there about a week before the veterans come in. So there I am uh, in the pass rush drill. And if you don't know what the pass rush drill is, it's normally there's an offensive lineman trying to block a six foot six, 260 pound gazelle. And then and usually there's a, 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 a pop up dummy where they smack the dummy and it pops up. Well, instead of the dummy, they put me in that drill. So uh, that's about all I did before I got cut a weekend. So anyway, I'm, I'm in my room getting ready for practice. Somebody knocks on the door, says, hey, pack your bags, get your playbook. Coach Reeves wants to see you. Well, I'm thinking we're, now we're getting somewhere. I'm going to talk to the head coach. We're going to talk some ball. And uh, but that, when you bring your playbook, it means you're about to get cut. So I didn't know that. And I thought I packed my bags to move into a better room. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, he cuts me, and I, I just got caught off guard. I'm, I'm crying like a baby. And the guy's like, hey, grab your bags. You got to catch the, catch the bus and catch the, the flight home out of here. So I got my bags. I'm going down the elevator. We were staying at this college campus dorm and get to the bottom. The doors open up. Who, who's at the bottom? But the, the, the veteran's walking in. And it had to be a wide receiver. Looks at me, goes, Dang, man, you got cut already? <laughs> so that was that. So I tried a bunch of odd jobs, and uh, one of them was valeting cards at the Boca Raton Hotel and Club. And they'd have these big, big parties, and you'd have cars parked all the way down the golf course. And uh, so I'm going, uh, the best way to make money, instead of waiting for that van to get a ride to the car, you just run. So I'd get the keys, I'd sprint down there, get the car, come back, do that for about two months. And I'm like, I'm in the best shape of my life. I got to try out for the NFL. So I called my agent back. I said, hey, man, I want, a, I want another shot. I'm in great shape. He said, dude, I don't want to represent you anymore. <laughs> so I got fired by my agent. And then uh, so I, I found a, a college buddy that wanted to be an agent. I said, look, you want to be an agent? I want to be a player. Maybe you can figure it out. So by the grace of God, he writes every team. I get a shot with the Miami Dolphins. I go in the locker room the first day, unpacking my gear, and I see 
locker number seven, locker number eight, locker number nine, and I see Richt on the, on the, uh, on the, on the locker, and I'm thinking, respect. Because <laughs> that, that was my college number nine. And I'll never forget, now I won't, I won't mention that there was a slash Del Greco next to my name, and it was in that, ma- and it was, it was in that uh, athletic tape uh, with a magic marker. But anyway, uh, Bobby Monica, the equipment man, comes in. He goes, are you righted? I said, it's Ricked. He said, whatever. <laughs> I says, uh, he goes, you number nine? I said, yeah. He goes, you're going to get cut. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, every guy that wears number nine in camp gets cut. And I said, we'll see. So anyway, I lasted about a month and got cut. Uh, Dave, Dave Shula was the quarterback's coach, and his dad was Don Shula. And one day I went to, went to the meeting. He says, uh, hey, get your playbook. Dad wants to see you. So I knew that was the end of that. So uh, anyway, went to, went to bartending school after that. Became a bartender, got fired from that job, and then uh, I went to, uh, I got fired from that job, and the, he, he decided to uh, let me stick around after 2 in the morning, and I started cleaning the bar. That was my next job. And uh, so I'm kind of shining the brass in there and thinking, surely there's something else I can do. Maybe I'll coach. And so that's how I got into coaching. Well, you know, Coach, I know you've got a book coming out in August. Right. And I'm sure a lot of that you shared is going oh, to be yeah. in that book, and I can't, I can't wait. But make, I, make the call. Make the call. Yeah. Well, you know, Coach, uh, a couple times in my ministry here, we've had an old coach, and he would come and speak to the church named uh, Bobby Bowden. Yes, sir. And I, I think Bobby Bowden was instrumental in your uh, initially coming to Christ in 1986. Right. Is, that, is that correct? Yeah. What happened was I'm a young graduate assistant coach, and I had originally agreed to go to LSU to be the quarterback, help the quarterbacks coach as a graduate assistant coach in 1985. Excuse me. The night before I, I had the U-Haul packed ready to go to Baton Rouge, the night before I got a call from Coach Bowden, he said, I don't have a full-time position for my quarterbacks coach, so I'm going to coach the quarterbacks, but I need a young guy to help me coach him. Would you like to do that? I'm like, heck yeah. And so I called the U-Haul and went to Tallahassee instead. Well, he went to my first meeting, and he went to, he followed me around that first practice, and he never came back. So I'm, I'm a young graduate assistant coach, coaching the quarterbacks at Florida State, which was a miracle. Um, so anyway, year two, we got an open date early in the season, and um, Coach Bowden told the players they could go home for the weekend if they chose to. And a lot of guys went home. A lot of guys stayed. He said, just be back Sunday for the team meeting to get back in town and get ready for the next week of school and the next ball game. Well, the guys that stayed on campus, most of them went to a party that was on campus. Somebody pulls the fire alarm. Everybody's out in the parking lot, and... Uh, as everybody's out in the parking lot, half the team that didn't leave town was there. And a car come through there with a local kid driving it uh, with a car full of buddies. Well, he, as I heard the story told to me, he almost hit Pablo. Pablo was six foot five, 285 pounds, offensive tackle uh, of, of Cuban descent from Miami. 
Everybody loved Pablo. Red, yellow, black, white, it didn't matter. Everybody loved Pablo. But Pablo still had a rough edge about him. So Pablo didn't like almost getting hit by this car, so he goes to the driver's side window and curses the guy out and threatens to whip his tail. And the guy, he's not coming out of the car to fight Pablo. He had no chance. Got his feelings hurt, got his pride hurt. Gets in the, stays in the car, turns around, goes back home, brings back a, a sawed-off shotgun. By then, everybody's back in the party. He puts the gun under the car and says, go tell those guys that I'm messing with their car. So the guys come out, Pablo leading the way, comes towards the kid, kid pulls the gun. Pablo having that Miami Vice bravado. Miami Vice was actually the show. You had to wait a week to watch it back then. But it was the show, and Pablo kept walking towards him and said, you ain't, you ain't gonna shoot me, bro. You ain't gonna shoot me. And he got close enough where the kid panicked, pulled the trigger, and shot Pablo at, po at point blank range, and Pablo died. Uh, before he even got to the hospital. So we got the team meeting, and uh, I'm the young graduate assistant coach, take and roll. Coach Bowden's up front. Here's the team, and I'm in the back kind of watching to see that no one was sneaking around trying to hear what Coach Bowden had to say to the team. Coach Bowden uh, visibly hurt, like everybody was, and he said, men, I don't know where Pablo is right now. I don't know where he's going to spend eternity. He said, but I do know this. He goes, there's a God in heaven that created all of us, and he loves us, and he wants us to live forever with him in heaven once we die. He said, but the problem is uh, the, the, uh, the only way to get, the, the standard for heaven is perfection. And none of us are able to be perfect. When Adam sinned, sin entered all man. We're, de we're descendants of Adam, and we have this sin nature in us. And even though the Ten Commandments are there, people think if you obey the Ten Commandments, you get to go to heaven. Well, that's true if you could, you could do it perfectly, but they're basically there to tell us it's impossible for us to be perfect. So because of that, he gave us Jesus. Well, Jesus wasn't born of Adam. He was born of the Holy Spirit. So he, he had this perfect spirit and soul to match his body, and he was the perfect sacrifice to die on the cross for our sins because God's a just God. He's going to punish sin. And it's either going to be us taking the brunt or it's going to be Jesus. Amen. Except it's a choice for us. So he said, Pablo used to sit in that seat right there and we had, we had assigned seating. First team offense, first team defense. Second team offense, second team defense all the way down the, down the, down the room. And that left, tackle, that left tackle chair was empty. He said, man, Pablo used to sit in that chair. Now he's gone. He said, if that was you last night instead of Pablo, do you know where you'd spend eternity? So he's talking to the team. He's saying, you guys are 18 to 22. You think you're going to live forever. If that was you instead of Pablo, where would you spend eternity? Well, he's talking to them. I'm in the back of the room. And all those seeds that were planted by my buddy John Peasley in college, came to fruition, and I'm like, I know where I'm going. It's a bad spot, and I, and I got to go see Coach Brown because he invited the team to come by and talk to him if they had any questions. So next day, I knock on Coach Brown's door. He says, come on in, buddy. And he calls you buddy when he forgets your name. And um, <laughs> so I said, Coach, I know you're talking to them players, but I, I need Jesus. 
And uh, so I prayed to receive Christ right there in his office. And found out later it was he used uh, his, own, uh, his own mother's Bible that day. But uh, anyway, you all know what's going on with Coach Bowden now. And he's living his last days right now. And he, he did say, I'm at peace. And some people don't understand why he's at peace. He's at peace because he knows where he's going. That's why he's at peace. Amen. Amen, Coach. Coach, I know that God directs our lives, and certainly he's directed your life, but uh, we've got, obviously, with all this red and black, there's tons of Georgia fans here. I pray God will help them. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, Coach, how did you actually end up as the head coach at Georgia? What? Right. Well, you know, we had a lot of success at Florida State with Coach Bowden. I was there 15 seasons, and... 14 out of 15 seasons, uh, we were top five in the nation. Won a couple national championships. I coached a couple Heisman Trophy winners. Uh, Justin uh, Weldon's cousin, Casey, uh, actually was runner-up to Desmond Howard for the Heisman Trophy. So I had a lot of success, and when you have a lot of success, people get interested. Five years prior to the Georgia job, I got offered the job to be the head coach at Pitt. Asked my wife, do you want to live in Pittsburgh the rest of your life? She said, no. I said, we're not taking the job. She said, why not? I said, because if I want to take a, a head job, I want to go to a place where I feel like I could stay the rest of my career. I don't want to take a head job knowing I'm looking for another head job one day because too many people count on the head coach. And uh, so I said, we're not going to do it. But, and I think God at the time was saying, you're not ready for this job anyway. But get, you need to get ready. So I, I took that in my spirit that God was saying, get ready because something's coming. And so for the next five years, I paid a little more attention to decisions Coach Bowden made as a head coach. And sure enough, uh, five years later, a few jobs came open, but Georgia was one that my wife and I thought we'd love to raise our family in Athens. And it had a football tradition of greatness. And uh, it was a place that we thought we could... Uh, coached the rest of my career. And uh, so anyway, I, I had an interview with uh, President Adams and Coach Dooley, who's the athletic director. And uh, I don't know if you all know about their relationship, but uh, that was a minor miracle. They're in the same room at the same time. <laughs> I didn't know that at the time. They seemed like good buddies, but uh, I don't know if that's how it ended up. But anyway, uh, Coach Dooley said uh, at the end of it, he said, we got a few more guys to interview. And then we'll give you a call here at the end of the week and let you know. This might have been on a Sunday or whatever it was. Well, like two days later, I get the phone call. I'm thinking I got till Friday to think about it. He catches me off guard and calls me and said, offers me the job. And I just, I wasn't ready to hear that news. And I was like, Coach, I'm not sure I want it. And uh, he said, what? I said, I said, I'm just not sure I want it. He goes, well, I'll give you another 50000 a year. I said, I'm not trying to get a raise. It was the easiest raise I got, by the way. But uh, <laughs> I, said, I said, I'm just not sure I want it. So he goes, well, you got till tomorrow morning to let me know what you're going to do because if you don't want it, we're moving on. So, you know, I'm in my bedroom just sitting there trying to figure out what to do. And my wife comes to me, and she's like, 
God doesn't give you a spirit of fear. This is from Satan and all that stuff. And she's trying to get my mind right. And then my brother calls me. He's like, what are you, nuts? <laughs> he's like, take the job. So finally, by about 2 or 3 in the morning, I realized I should take the job. So I called Coach Dooley at 3 in the morning. And he's like, hello? And I said, this, it's Coach Rick. I want the job. He goes, that's wonderful. He said, so what time is it? I said, it's 3 in the morning. He goes, why are you calling me in the middle of the night? I said, I was afraid you were going to sleep on it and decide not to hire me. <laughs> that's, a true, that's a true story, too. So that's how I got the Georgia job. Coach Rick, I teach our staff and I teach men that we need three people in our lives. I tell them that uh, we need a Paul. We need a Paul in our lives, somebody who's been where we haven't been. And uh, we need a Barnabas in our lives because we need encouragement. Right, And then we need a Timothy in our lives. We need uh, people that we're pouring into. All men need a Paul and Timothy and Barnabas. Who, when speaking of Pauls, who would have been some of the mentors in your life, Coach? And maybe who are they? All right. Number one, my dad, without a doubt. Number one mentor growing up. Couldn't wait to, for him to come home. I'd have his glove, my glove, and a baseball. and Couldn't wait to play catch. But uh, it was more than that. But uh, those are some of the fond memories. Number two, Bill Milhone, Mr. Milhone, my elementary school PE coach. Some PE coaches roll the ball out and say, go play. Mr. Milhone taught us everything about every sport that you could learn. And I loved him for that. He, I love sports because of that. Number three, Roger Coffey, my high school coach. He's the one that said, if you play football only, if you want to be a quarterback, you play football. And if you do that, I'll get you a scholarship. So I, I bit into that pretty hard. And then in college, I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't have a mentor. And uh, I floundered in my life the most in college and because uh, I, I didn't have that mentor. And then, of course, Coach Bowden was next. And uh, I had a spiritual mentor named Bill, Bob Warren as well, but he, he's since passed away. But... Um, those were the, the main figures in my life that uh, were wonderful mentors to me. Coach, you know, I, I've often said if, the, if our enemy, and certainly we have an enemy, if the <clears throat> enemy can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. Yeah. If he can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. Coach, what would you say to this group of men? How do you... How do you balance the work life and home right. life? How do, how do you do that? Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, as a, as a head coach in college, it's not easy. But everybody in here, I'm sure, works hard and has a lot of uh, responsibility and a lot of pressure that comes with your job. And, and I'll just say this. Anybody who's uh, uh, sacrificed themselves for their wife and their children and, and provided and protected them, I, I applaud you. It's a... It's a wonder, like my brother Craig, he's like, man, I, I wish I'd have done this. I wish I'd have done that and been more significant. I said, hey, bro, you, 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 you loved your wife. You love your daughters. You took care of them all. What you've done is super honorable. There's nothing more honorable than you could do than what you've done. So I want you all to understand that, first of all. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is it's not easy. You've you got to be intentional. Just as intentional as you are to make an appointment uh, in your business, you got to make an appointment and, and make sure you, you spend time with your family. Well, Coach Bowden, God love him, 
I love him so much. He, he used to ask the staff, when are you going to see your kids? When are you going to see? And he didn't mean like once a week. When are you going to see your kids on Thursday night? He said, when are you going to? You going to see them in the morning? You going to see them at night? We decided to see them in the morning. So we had our staff meeting at 8.30 in the morning so I could get up with my kids, have a devotion, take them. I drove my kids to school every day, did the same thing at Georgia. And uh, so that my kids saw me every single day as busy as we were. And one last quick little trick I learned from somebody along the way was when I went, when I went to work, I went past Loop 10 on my way to uh, down Millard Street on my way to the office. When I passed Loop 10, I'd start thinking about football. But on the way home, when I passed Loop 10 coming back the other way towards home, I'd start thinking about home. Because we could be at home and not be at home, if you know what I'm saying. So you gotta be, you got to be there physically, mentally, spiritually for your wife and for your children. Coach, what about, uh, if you don't mind talking a little bit about it, what about this recent diagnosis? Right. T tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Parkinson's disease. Uh, by May 25th, when the specialist told me I had Parkinson's, he, he pretty much told me what I already knew. Uh, I'd gone to my primary care with some thoughts about some symptoms, and then I went to a local neurologist after we took pictures of the brain and all that stuff, all these scans. And uh, when, I, when I met with the local neurologist, uh, he knew I had it, I think, but he didn't want to be the one to say Coach Rick had Parkinson's. So uh, he said, i got to send you to an expert here in Augusta. So I go see him. Excuse me, about two months later, on May 25th, they gave me the diagnosis. And like I said, by then I, I knew I had it. Well, um, I don't want to get too technical, but Parkinson's, I'll just say this. I could do today in stage one just about anything I did a couple years ago, but I just can't do it as fast. Um, bradykinesia is one of the symptoms in that brady means slow and kinesia means uh, movement, so you move slower. Uh, and that's just one of them. So um, anyway, it, it was good that I had time to process the thought of having Parkinson's instead of like, bam, first appointment, you got Parkinson's. You start looking it up and you start freaking out and all that stuff. But uh, by the time I... That the diagnosis came in, in earnest, uh, I already knew and I already had time to think about it. And so for a while, I'd be at a speaking engagement like this and I'd be kind of wobbling around and moving slow and everybody's like, Coach, you okay or can I help you or does your back hurt? Or, you know, I got tired of feeding everybody a bunch of junk. So uh, I just got on the internet and uh, tweeted out that I was diagnosed with Parkinson's and um, but I got to say it the way I wanted to say it, and I said, I view it as momentary light affliction compared to the glory that we're going to have once we go to heaven. Amen. And I said, amen. <laughs> and I said, I said, thank you, Jesus, for the promise of that glorified body that has no sin and has no disease to be united with my spirit and soul. Remember, you know, when I became a Christian, that sin nature that I was born with, that sin of Adam I was born with, well, that got eradicated. That got killed, crucified with Christ. I became the new creation in my spirit, in my soul, the things that I'd live forever. Well, my behavior is still lagging behind. But when I get ejected from this body, 
with all the sin and all the, all the disease, I'll get this new perfect glorified body. So I'm excited about that day. Amen. Amen, Coach. <clears throat> Amen, Coach. Uh, uh, you know, Coach, I've probably learned more from the failures in my life than I have the successes in my life. Uh, what, what have you learned from failure, Coach? Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing is you can't be afraid to fail. You know, if you, um, you want to never fail, you'll probably never do anything worthy. So, you know, any, anything that is uh, worthy of doing, you're going to probably fail at it. I mean, I don't know if anybody, who jumped on a two-wheel bicycle and just started riding the first time, the first time out of the cannon? Probably not. You probably wiped out a few times and, and you failed until you figured it out, you know. I had a son that wanted to do a, a headstand, my son David. He must have tried 150 times to do a headstand. And it was getting frustrated. I just said, just keep banging away, boy, to keep going. Then one day, he did that headstand, and all of a sudden he could do it. But he failed probably 100 times in the process. So I think the biggest thing is don't be afraid to fail. And I think the big thing is just where, where's your heart? Where's your motivation? You know, I think, you know, God cares more about, you know, what our motivation is than what our results are. If we're doing something because we think God wants us to do it, I think he's pleased with that. I think he's excited about that. And uh, so the big thing is, you know, don't be afraid to fail. And when you do, just shake it off and, and move on. It's like that old mule they tried to kill and the farmer threw it into the well and was going to bury that old, this old well was no good anymore and it had no more water. He's just going to bury the mule. So he started dumping dirt in there, right? He kept dumping dirt, dumping dirt and uh, trying to bury the thing. And uh, every time the dirt hit his back, he shook it off and stepped up and shook it off and stepped up. And by the time the farmer filled up the whole well, the, the old donkey or mule jumps out of there and <laughs> they tried to get rid of him. They couldn't do it because they kept shaking it off. And stepping up, so that's what you got to do when you when you when you fail. Amen. Well, you know, Coach, uh, as we kind of wrap things up, uh, we could talk about that hobnail boot, but I don't want to talk about that. We crushed their face. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that, Coach. <laughs> So I don't want to talk about Sorry that. Sorry about that. No, we don't talk about coaches. Enough of that. God's not pleased with that. No, God's not pleased with that. But uh, I'm excited, Coach. I promise you uh, that book uh, that's coming out of yours, I'm going to get it. I really am. I promise you I'm going to get that book, and I know these men are. But, Coach, before we wrap things up, is there, is there anything that you uh, – listen, yeah. I, I've wrote down all these questions, but right. is there anything you want to share? Well, there's one last thing. I'm going to tell one more story. Okay. Uh October 21st, 2019, been retired from coaching for a little while. My wife and I moved to the beach at Destin. Our routine was to get up, take your vitamins, go for a 30-minute walk, go to the gym, do that old man lifting routine, you know, and uh, light weight, high rep, get your heart rate going, kind of work out. And then, then when you're done with that, go back, walk another half an hour back home, and that was our routine for our workout. Well, got in the gym, and I was doing bench press and latissimus dorsi and bench press and lats and 
doing three sets of that, and then I was doing military press, shoulder shrugs, military press, shoulder shrugs. Third set, military press, shoulder shrugs. You started the music probably too early. But anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be here, I'm gonna be here a minute. You're fine, take your time. I'll be here a minute. I'm gonna stay as long as you so do. So anyway, <laughs> so I'm doing my shrugs, I get to about 12, I'm trying to do 15, and I can't get it. And so uh, I sit on the bench, I'm trying to catch my breath, and I'm starting to get nauseous, and I'm thinking, Dad, gummit, my wife made me take those vitamins on an empty stomach. I'm getting nauseous, I'm sweating, getting heated up. I said, honey, I, it was, it was, she was done working out. It was the last set. She went in the lobby. I said, I got to go to the boys' room. It's mostly all men here. So anyway, I go into the locker room, and by the grace of God, the only there's one stall. And by the grace of God, it was empty. So I go in there and didn't quite sure know where it was coming from, but it was coming, all right? <laughs> so I'm in there a little while, and after a few moments of uh, terror, uh, I get a little knock on the door, and I'm like, oh, no. Somebody's got to use it, and there's only one stall. So me being the great guy I am, I get up and let him use it and go into the, uh, where the lockers were on the bench, sat on the bench, and I keep getting overheated. I can't catch my breath. I'm sweating. I'm getting nauseous. I lay back on the bench. Finally, I'm like, I'm in trouble. I think I'm having a heart attack. So I call out, help. Well, it was like crickets, nothing. The guy had come and gone. I'm the only one in the locker room. So I'm like, if I don't get up and walk these 45 steps, uh, I may die right here in this locker room. I knew it was 45 steps because I went back later and stepped them off. It felt like 450 steps. But I walked through the, uh, the uh, sauna and steam area and got to the, to the gym area and, and uh, called out for help. I need help take a knee, sit on my rear end, lay on my back just to feel the coolness of the tile. And they come and run us. Should we call the ambulance? Yeah, call the ambulance. You want a drink of water? No, just throw it on me. <laughs> Coach, calm down. I can't, I can't calm down. Uh, relax, relax. I can't. I can't breathe. So anyway, I'm laying there. Ambulance comes. The gurney comes. I jump, on the, I jump in the ambulance. They're trying to and I'm thinking I'm in the ambulance. Hallelujah, they're going to give me something to make me feel better. They can't, I'm a bad stick nowadays. They couldn't get an IV in me. And so I get to the, uh, I, uh, get to the uh, emergency room. They triage me, immediately put me in the cath room to do uh, surgery and put some stents in my uh, arteries to my heart. So I got two 100% blocked arteries, my uh, Widowmaker and another one. And so they're in there. I got my eyes closed. And even right here, if my eyes are closed now, I, I feel the light. I see the light through my, through my eyelids. So I'm laying on the table. I feel the bright lights on me. And there's a voice right here as they're working on me saying, Coach, what do you feel? And I said, my left arm went numb and I, I can't breathe. A little while later, what do you feel now, Coach? My right arm's numb. I can't breathe. What about now? My right leg went numb. I can't breathe. Coach, what are you feeling now? My head and my ears are going numb and I, I can't catch my breath. And then finally, everything went numb and it was, if, if, as if it just went shh, pitch black. My body went numb, pitch black. 
So I'm thinking, here I go. And uh, so in my spirit, I'm feeling peace. In my spirit, I'm feeling excitement to go see Jesus. I remember saying, here I come, Jesus. And so in my spirit, I'm feeling this, but in, in distance, I could still hear my body gasping for air. So God makes our bodies to survive, but in my spirit, I was ready to go. Then I heard, wake up. And I didn't know if it was Satan or Jesus. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> there was that nurse. And uh, so I woke up. But anyway, I tell this story for one reason. When you get to that point in your life, there's only one thing that matters. Only one thing that matters. That's where you're going. You're going, to live for, you're going to live for eternity somewhere. Where's it going to be? And just like when Coach Bowden said, Pablo used to sit in that seat. If that was you last night. You know you'd spend eternity. I bet you there's somebody in this room and maybe more than one going, I don't know where I'd be. Or I know what I'll be. It'd be a bad place. If you don't know with, with certainty and you heard that question, that you're going to heaven, only because of what Jesus did for you, I, I highly suggest you make that decision because it's hard to make a decision once you're dead. So the, what's the last thing I want to say? If you don't have your spirit and soul right with Jesus, right with God through the blood of Jesus, get it right. Get it right today. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for today's Leeds Club session. We hope you feel encouraged and empowered. If you would like more information or resources about leadership, be sure and connect with me at bennytate.info or follow me on social media at Pastor Benny Tate. Join us next week for more insights on leadership, personal growth, and encouragement in your walk with God to help you lead at the next level.